It's a hike. Yeah, that's why we're uh, making a full week and a half trip out of it, staying at the property while renovating it. While renovating it? Yeah. Because you're a carpenter. Yes, sir. And how long have you... Don't call me, sir. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> don't call me, sir. How long, have you been a, how long have you been a carpenter? Um, So I went to a tech high school. I got into carpentry before going to high school. So mm-hmm. maybe 2013, I figured out, hey, I'm going to... I'm going to go into this whole tech school thing, mm-hmm. uh, aspiring to go into carpentry specifically. Mm-hmm. And now you're becoming a police officer. Yeah. With yep. aspirations potentially for the federal government doing. Yeah. The aspirations have always been there to, to go into federal law enforcement mm-hmm. um, since about the middle of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And how are you young? You're young. You're 23 now? 23. You're yeah. 23. Yeah. Dude, that would be so awesome. But you, yeah. but you said you wanted to go to the ATF, but you had said, I know I asked you yesterday, but I forgot specifically mm-hmm. what the position, are you even allowed to say what it is? No. No. Okay. Yeah. So you uh, want to be in the ATF. Yeah. Absolutely. Got it. Okay. Got um, it. Did with, not know that. Always so many secrets with the, with the federal government. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you got to be careful with what you say, who you say it to. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very selective over that. Yeah. Even before, even when you're just applying, you know, really, yeah, you, they don't, they don't want any sort of, um, anything that can be used against you mm. or used against them. Mm. Uh, you know, cause if you, if you acknowledge that you're applying for a certain agency, people mm-hmm. could try to, uh, manipulate derive, yeah. you, coerce you, try exactly. to get inside information. Yeah. Yeah. hundred mm. percent. Did you know clergy have the same privileges as lawyers and doctors? Clergy clergy like pastors sure yeah they have uh uh, what's it's not attorney client privilege but it's the same law that like whatever i'm told i have to like hold secret Mm -hmm. unless it's uh something that's has to do with commission of a crime or Uh uh-huh yeah an admission of a crime right Mm -hmm. are those the only two exceptions uh i think minors uh mandatory reporter for minors Mm -hmm. and any form of suicidal ideation, mm-hmm. that stuff are exceptions. Other than that, no, I have to be a lockbox. Nice, nice. There's Which something, is, there's something about that that weight, that responsibility, that's empowering. That's it kind of feels cool too. A hundred percent. But I, I'm like, you can tell me, I can't say anything. That's <laughs> how I feel about the security clearance. Hundred percent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're doing the, you're transitioning from being a carpenter into the Lemonster PD. In the meantime. Correct. Which is a city here in Massachusetts. Yep. And you've been going through the academy. When does the academy start? The academy starts in two weeks from now. Okay. How you feeling? Uh, ready, ready mm-hmm. as I can be. You mm-hmm. know, uh, just I'm physically prepared for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll figure out day one how I need to adjust on the fly and mentally prepare because mm-hmm. uh, it's gonna rewire me. Mm-hmm. I want to retain my faith in humanity. I think that's gonna be <laughs> extremely tough to do. Like. Like, as a Christian, I try to give people benefit of the doubt. Like, yeah. It's even tough serving on security here mm-hmm. um, because I want to like not look at people with skepticism. Yeah. But I recognize that going into the field, your default has to be that skepticism. Yep. Like, people are probably lying to you right up front. Always. They have their own version of a story. They're going to mm-hmm. try to get you on their side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I gotta gotta recognize that rather than just try to empathize with them right off the bat mm-hmm. and think that what they're telling you is the truth. Yeah, that privilege is for uh, for pastors and well, sometimes it's pretty hard to. You want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes, when you're dealing with criminals, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be doing your job very good if you're like, oh, I'm sure you didn't mean to pull your gun on the convenience store manager. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it was an accident. We'll let you off with a you're like no. Yeah, it's a it's accountability with grace rather than grace with. Yeah, law law is its own. The law needs to be upheld. It's its own mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But hey, everybody, this is my good friend Kyle Klimowitz. His brother is Jimmy. We don't say that Kyle is Jimmy's brother. Jimmy is Kyle's brother. That's Jimmy right. was on the podcast a few weeks ago talking about mentors. This is his older brother who I adore and wanted to have on the podcast. So Kyle, thanks for coming on. Say hi to everybody. Hey, what's going on? Keaton, I, I appreciate you bringing me on here, man. I respect you immensely. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. If you didn't, would you tell the truth? Absolutely. I, be, I bet you would. I believe you. Integrity. 
You are a man of integrity. Part of the reason we're going to hear Kyle's story. I, I want to hear his story. I've got some questions for him, but one of the reasons I really wanted to have Kyle on, well, I had two reasons. One, I love anybody who wants to get involved in upholding the the law in this wonderful country that we love. Um, big time Patriot really appreciate our law enforcement, military, all of those people. Uh, but also Kyle asks the best questions <laughs> I have ever, ever been asked. He's very curious. He actually wants to know the right answer. And he has really, really thought provoking questions. And there was one time we were, I put this on my reminders. There was one time we were in the lobby and you would ask me a question and we were kind of discussing and working it out. And you said, so what you're saying is you repeat what you don't reconcile. And I thought that statement, you repeat what you don't reconcile, was profound. So I put it on my reminders, my wisdom reminders. And every two weeks, it pops up on my phone. Like, you repeat what you don't reconcile. So, Kyle, thanks for coming on. Glad to have you here. Do us a favor. Tell everybody about yourself. What's your story? Who are you? Sheesh. All right. Um, I don't even know where to start. But my name is Kyle. I'm 23 years old. Um, Grew up in Lemonster, Mass. Went to a tech high school, started out as a carpenter, had a passion for going into law enforcement, feel like I was literally called there in, in, a, revel- in a revelationary sense. Uh, we can get into that after, uh, when I was about... I'd love to hear that sometime. Yeah, mm-hmm. in, in about mid-high school, uh, felt like I was called to go into law enforcement, and through like some conviction, some life change, um, that's kind of what I set my eyes forth on, um, to basically just pursue that relentlessly. Um, up to and through college and uh, to find out where I am today. Mm-hmm. And where did you go to college? Franklin Pierce. And in, what did uh, you study? Intelligence, security studies, and criminal justice. Yeah, super dope. Intel- say that one more time. Intelligence, security studies. It yeah. has to do with uh, counterterrorism. Uh-huh. My buddy Ethan, he came on the podcast. He's now, he's training for, to be an Army Ranger. Ethan, I know you listen to this. If I mess that up, I can never remember if you're being a, going for a Ranger or being a Beret. Um, he's actually at selection right now. Wow, that's incredible. And yeah, he's got, I think, eight days left of selection. And he wanted to go in law enforcement also. He's trying out for the DEA. Nice. God and, bless him. Yeah, but the process took so long. Yeah. In the job he was working in the meantime, he's like, no, I'm not doing, I don't want to wait anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm getting blocked. What do I do here? I mean, this is a long time after college. He studied yeah. something similar to what you studied. It's a long process. It's, it's a, a rigorous long process. process. The game is called hurry up and wait. Like, <laughs> yeah. You cross your T's and dot your I's and get all your paperwork submitted. Mm-hmm. And then it's on, I don't know, federal budgets on yeah. staff on who knows what. Yeah. Like it takes forever. So anyway, he decided, you know, I'm going to, Try out for the military. Mm-hmm. Go. So he did basic. Got chosen to either do. I can't remember if it's Ranger or Green Beret for Special Forces. Either way, he's at selection, and he had a all that to say. He had a similar course of study to you, and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's a that's a concentration that's. I mean, all of these agencies need it. Mm-hmm. Any sort of intel collection agency, any sort of federal law enforcement agency. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'll use that a ton with DEA. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's going back to the DEA. No. I think he likes the military. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what's funny about um, just trusting God. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Were you, did you graduate top of your class? It, yeah. Not the very top of the class, but yeah. I've kind of always. What you, what was it? Like, I don't know, uh, 65th or something like that. Out of how many? Um, I think it was in the top 10%. So 65th out of like 6,500 to 7,000 students. To be honest, I couldn't recall. I just know I was top 10% because of <laughs> some awards and accolades. All right. Um, so we're talking to a super genius here also. No, humbly speaking. Uh, humbly speaking and somebody who worked very, very hard. Yeah. Um, 100%. But continue with your story. Sure. Yeah, so where do I even begin? Like wherever you want. All right. Let's, uh, let's date back to. 2012, mm-hmm. 2012 or something, something along those lines. How old were you? I was 12, 13 years old mm-hmm. going on that time. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up in a split household um, with parents who would always fight with one another. It was tough. It was tough. Like um, you have parents who were trying to have you as kids side with one of them. Mm-hmm. You 
you learn a distrust for one another. You mm-hmm. learn um, you're kind of thrown to the wolves in terms of your understanding for why you are where you are at that mm. time. Um, mm. I was just reading a, a book about uh, uh, emotional, spiritually healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and forgive me for butchering his name, but Scazzaro. Uh, that's actually exactly how you say Scazzaro. it. Pete Scazzaro. Yeah. Pete Scazzaro. Is, yeah, okay. The way you said it. Beautifully. All right. So he notes that in order to be emotionally, spiritually healthy, you have to reflect on those circumstances that you think you were just thrown into, that you didn't have control over. Mm-hmm. Um, to You have to process the emotions that you felt throughout those times in order to be reflective, be introspective about them, rather than just wonder why and be reactive to them. Um, and so, but I didn't have that emotional IQ at the time, the, the EQ, right? Well, yeah, at 13, it's kind of hard to, yeah, but now, yeah. So at the time I'm, I'm looking at my mom's situation. I'm looking at Jim and I growing up in poverty. Like literally, I remember like we would be short on oil and have to sleep in like sleeping bags and like tons of blankets. We would have to walk to food pantries and things of this nature for people who don't live in new England. They actually don't know what you just mean by we're short on oil. Got it. I didn't know until I moved here. Mm-hmm. Briefly explain what that is. So essentially, um, it's pretty much the tundra here as soon as October hits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we could have sub sub temperature nights, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there's like heating assistance and things like that going on, it's a process, you know. Uh, your name gets added to a wait list, and we, we needed oil, basically. We needed oil. To heat your house. Yes. They use oil heaters here, which <laughs> it blows. Yes. No one, I don't know anyone other than people in New England who use oil-based heaters. Yeah, we can't just keep our windows open or keep our windows shut, depending on the temp, mm. and, and then have it be climate controlled. I think ours was just electric. Like, my heater in Colorado was electric or or natural gas. But oil, mm. in this blue state where everything's green, they're just dropping off tanks of oil for eight nine hundred dollars a month. Yeah, yeah, they it's capitalize nuts. on it. But even if it was just electric, like we were financially, we we struggled heavily in terms yeah. of finances. Um, and it was very tough to grow up that way and not know why we were in that situation. And so while we're we're struggling like that, we're walking the food pantries, we're, um doing the whole nine yards trying to scrounge for change underneath cushions to take a bus to the next city things like that like i'm looking at my dad's side of it and he's going on multiple vacations each year and my mom's like having to walk everywhere with Mm -hmm. no license like having her license revoked because she wasn't able to pay child support due Mm -hmm. to having to get multiple jobs and then it being used against her you know just to try to support us um and so it built up i built up a heavy resentment towards my dad because mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't given clarity as to why right. my mom was living how she was living mm-hmm. um, but it taught me a lot it taught me this notion of fiscal responsibility on my mm-hmm. mom's part um, and it taught me everything that came from that resentment with my dad mm-hmm. um, that resentment led me to be a prodigal for years years mm-hmm. and years um, like so they raised us in the faith and so we kind of my brother and I uh, we had the the faith in in Christianity in our subconscious, if you will. And I think the morals and the values and having that instilled in us, having that inculcated us at, at an early age. Um, well, this pro- it says in Proverbs, basically, raise your raise your kids in the faith, and they'll never grow later. They won't depart from it. There we go. They might in the middle, mm-hmm. but later they probably will not. In Jesus' yeah. name. In Jesus' name. Yeah. yeah, and that's a that's a testimony that's all all too familiar for for a lot of us, you know. Mm-hmm. But during that time that I built resentment for him, oh man, I couldn't process my emotion. You know, mm-hmm. I was I was blaming God. It was more of a reliance on God for God. How can you help us today to get through this situation rather yeah. than a relationship with Him? Mm-hmm. Um, but it made me harbor bitterness. Um, at times, I, I blamed God mm-hmm. for things, mm-hmm. um, and I definitely became of the world rather than uh, differentiating myself from mm-hmm. that. Um, and so here I am at 13. Um, That's I'm, a lot for a 13 year old to try to process, handle, yeah, get through. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, Jimmy would have been what? 11. Yeah. 11, yeah. 12 years old. And so 
I'm hanging out with with this friend group. Um, so like a little backstory, I'd, I'd gone to this program called like uh, Leap, Lemister's Enhanced Acceleration Program, mm-hmm. basically just learning things quicker in school. Mm-hmm. And all of the kids I was with there were from your stereotypical white picket fence, dog. Uh, Rich people. Yeah, mm-hmm. essentially. Or mm-hmm. at least like they weren't from split households. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was definitely an in-group, out-group sort of differential there. Mm-hmm. Um as things transpired in my family dynamic and that created some sort of animosity. It created like, like an inward longing for what they have, but it was inattainable, you know? And mm-hmm. so I, I segregated myself. I started mm-hmm. hanging out with people who were very much like myself um, or in similar family dynamics. And we were not living life how we, we were running from our emotions rather than processing them. Mm-hmm. Um, we were doing crazy party things at 13 years old, like things wow. that would change our perception and our outlook on life forever at 13 years old. Um, but at that time I knew that I always had this, I had this sort of hypocritical, hypocritical mentality. I thought mm. I wasn't like them, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm smarter than these people. I know I'm not going to go down a path of. I'm not going to go down the spiral path, even if they are, you know? Um, and so I deviated myself from growing a strong relationship with them, but I still lived this life of very unhealthy lifestyle. Um, ultimately, and I had this conviction, like I would do the things I did and I would not feel good about them afterwards during the time I would, because it felt better than having to process what was going on at home. Yeah. But I knew like, I felt conviction over it. And I think that's, that's attributed to how our parents raised us in the faith a little bit, you know, even if it was in our subconscious. Um, and so ultimately a year, year and a half, close to two years of doing that. One night I literally saw my life change forever. Um, I was 15 years old, could have been 14 years old at the time. I don't really remember, but God literally showed me a revelation where I was faced with two different doors, basically showing what my life would be like if I continued to live that life of sin, of of bitterness, of resentment, hanging out with these wrong people. Um, I was literally going to face death. You know, mm-hmm. I have no idea where I would be today if I didn't ch- if I didn't take that and run with it. Um, wow! And I was shown, and and so that night continued into the morning thereafter, and I decided to go to the church the next morning. No, because at the time, I, it wasn't as revelationary that night as it was in church the next morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was more of, hey, I'm going to go to church this next morning because it's going to make me feel better for what I did the night before. Sort of thing. <laughs> An all yeah. too familiar feeling. Yeah. And so I go to church the next morning, and I couldn't tell you who the pastor was or who the guest speaker was, what he was preaching about. But I was never in tune with worship as much as I was that day. And whatever he, he talked about, I had this revelation that I was going to go into federal law enforcement. Wow. And it was the polar opposite of how I was living at the time. Yeah. It was a full-fledged faith in God. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't think that it was actually attainable, you know? That fi- and this is at 15 now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped hanging out with the same people I was hanging out with. Um, obviously, life change doesn't happen overnight. I mean, the no. revelation might, but... Yeah my behavior changed over time and I started pursuing that a lot more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where my life stopped going from reliance on God to relationship with God mm-hmm. and what would be attainable with him mm-hmm. in my life. Um, and ultimately what led me here, uh, to where I am today and I'll attribute it to my success in the future is largely in part my brother. Like Jimmy processed what we were going through with my mom and my dad and, and everything involved in the family dynamic in a way that was unparalleled. Like I couldn't really turn to anyone at that time and mm-hmm. see, Hey, what do I have to change in my behavior and my thought process mm-hmm. for my circumstances to actually change? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he was just, he had mentors in the church. I felt like I was being pushed away from the church because of that inward conviction. Mm-hmm. And, um, I learned a lot from him at, at that time. I was like, Whatever he's doing, whoever he's surrounding himself with, largely in part, the faith, right? Like, that's what I need in my life in order for my circumstances to change. 
even if they weren't going to change overnight, at least my perception of them would. Yeah. Dang. Dude, so you just described something. I'm sure a lot of guys will actually resonate. It'll resonate with them. You're, a lot of guys will resonate with your story. To a degree, when you were describing those years between 13 and 15, it mm-hmm. kind of felt like you were describing 13 to 21. Because mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. life could have been lived there. Yeah. And that's just... Have you heard of the book, The, uh, the Catcher in the Rye? Yeah. So, have you read it? I haven't read that. So, well, it's about a disenfranchised boy whose parents are not around, basically. And <clears throat> very angry, very cynical, running around doing his own thing, just trying to find somebody to hang out with. He's drinking half the time, half the book. The book covers only four days. And he's just drunk. Oh, wow. all, yeah, and he's like a 13, 14-year-old kid. But the way that author wrote the book and the way he describes this young man, because it's all from the narrator's point of view, men all over the country lost their mind about this book because it felt like language had finally been put to their story. Wow. Yeah. I've heard that book actually being referenced in terms of like the radicalization of some serial killers. Yeah. Interesting enough. Yeah. It finally, it was banned for a little bit. The author had to go into hiding for a little bit because he put language to what a lot of young men were feeling at a certain time in history. The pastor that started at the last church I was at read that book when he moved to Denver and decided this is going to be the kind of person I reach Hmm. like true story. And as you were talking that it reminded me of that book, which is kind of wild, but you've come a long way now. You're very well spoken, very well put together. Never once heard you talk about being a victim, which is, and Jimmy's not that way either. You guys are amazing young men. I bet my dad's crying right now because he's like, wow. guaranteed. Wow. Um, guaranteed. What else was I going to ask you? Um, yes. What do you, so federal law enforcement at yeah. 15. Yeah. Which is awesome. That's, that's an incredible call. Big call. How did you sustain that for for eight years you've held on to that without i'm sure that you've maybe drifted a little Mm -hmm. gone back and forth or maybe it wasn't necessarily just federal law enforcement maybe it's just law enforcement maybe it's just the direction i'm I'm going in general how did you like hold like hold fast to that vision well that vision wasn't just a intangible intrinsic feeling you know like i literally had a revelation that day of what it looked like to work around like explosives and airports and things of that nature and i was like this is this is specific i don't even know what this means in its entirety but i'm going to pursue that um and it required sacrifice it required a lot of sacrifice Mm -hmm. in terms of you got to be calculated in in everything you do you know like if you're going to be entrusted with protecting our country and to that extent, like you've got to be a man of integrity. You've got to mm-hmm. be a man of owning your actions. Um, you got to be calculated in your mm-hmm. in, in your decision making, who you talk to, what you say, who you associate with. Um, all of that sort of stuff played out on a day to day basis. Um, and so, deviating from certain people and mm-hmm. associating myself with other people, mm-hmm. I went into isolation for a long time. Really. I, I, you know, it was more so isolation until it was isolation because I didn't know who I should surround myself with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And then it turned to solitude mm-hmm. because I was like, this is what I need to work on uh, by myself sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. But it inhibited me from having strong relationships with a lot of people. Even going through college, like you could be surrounding yourself with people who are in a similar major, who have aspirations of going into maybe a similar career path. You don't know how seriously they take it. And a lot of people are detriments to your calling. You recognize that uh, just based on who's around you. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had to be methodical in that. Um, wow. Wow. That is a lot of foresight that I did not have at uh, 21, 25, 27, now. <laughs> just kidding. That is a lot of foresight. Very mature. Me and my brother Colin, he came on a podcast very very smart guy and we got into a discussion about perpetual adolescence Hmm. in the modern age why is it that so many people are 
still acting like teenagers when they're in their 20s, late 20s, sometimes even early 30s. Well, and he made a point that was, I'd never even thought of that I thought was really profound. He basically said, well, yeah, in other times in history, people were forced to grow up faster Mm -hmm. because of their circumstances. So he used the Great Depression as an example. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't have a chance. You didn't have a choice to be a teenager as a teenager. You had to be an adult as a teenager. Yeah, you had to learn to work hard. That fiscal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was circumstantial. It was the sufferings of the present age that forced you to grow up and maybe not have the benefits of what we might have now with a where we live in a very wealthy era. Era. Hmm. I was thinking about that as you were talking. Like this is a young man and your brother. This is a young man who is forced to grow up really, really, really quickly. That's why at 23, you talk like you're 35, <laughs> which is a gift in and of itself. It's amazing. You got a bright future, but those circumstances force a lot of us to grow up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we necessarily need to go looking for really difficult situations and just throwing ourselves into them. Mm-mm. But what I would, what I am kind of inspired by don't flee things that are really difficult Yes. Yeah. Because you won't get the maturity that you desperately need for your future. You're not going to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, like it says in James. Mm -hmm. What would you say to young guys, old guys who have been seeking comfort their entire life and avoiding hard things, hard circumstances, hard conversations to encourage them? Like you can handle this. Hmm. I know I didn't prep you with that question, but it came to my mind. Sure. Well. I talked about this in the DR a little bit. Um, we went there on the missions trip, and I mean, that was a major in group, out group differential. These are kids that are born into circumstances that they don't know why they're born into them. Right. We can't explain why they're born into right. poverty of that nature, you know? Mm-hmm. But a point of emphasis was that God puts you in your circumstances to increase in relationship with Him. Mm-hmm. And through those, He'll inculcate you with these strengths. Um, and your qualities and your unique qualities and then eventually he'll give you a glimpse of how you should use those callings for kingdom work Mm -hmm. that's what we call a calling yeah um and once you sort of a step-by-step kind of based on what Mm -hmm. what, case in point what happened in my life you know yeah once you acknowledge that calling that he has even if it doesn't seem attainable at first pursue that pursue that a little bit um and you'll see the difference that of the people that God brings into your life. You know, mm-hmm. that's where that's where things kick off. That is where you're jumping off the starting blocks in the race, you know, because now you're now you not only have a sense of direction, but you have a sense of instruction mm-hmm. coming from the people around you. Um, and that's motivational in and of itself, because then you start to see progress being made. Now you see things as they're attainable, you know. Yeah. Um, so good. Yeah obedience is obedience is the obedience basically precedes your calling coming to fruition is is what i've noticed over the years mm-hmm. amen yeah it does that's so true obedience will proceeds like a lot too i want to ask you i want to ask you uh some questions about what you believe mm. because you seem like a guy who knows what you believe which is a superpower Someone, I don't remember who I was talking to. They asked me, what's your, it was my brother, my buddy, Brian. We were talking about like strengths. What are your strengths? What are you good at? And he asked me, what do you think your strongest hmm. strength? What's your greatest strength? Strongest strength. Greatest <laughs> strength. And I said, I know what I believe. Well, well, that is the strongest thing that I have going for me. I know what I believe. I know what I believe about manhood. I know what I believe about God. I know what I believe about life, family, marriage, being a father, being a citizen of the United States. I know what I believe about economics, politics. Like I know what I believe about that stuff. So Mm -hmm. I'm able to Mm -hmm. articulate and talk and discuss about things with confidence. Yeah. Whereas most people, they have no idea what they believe. Mm -hmm. My number one episode that I've ever recorded is know what you believe. Mm -hmm. Because so many people are like, how do you even begin to figure out what you believe at all? Yeah. What do you believe to be true about reality? What's good? All that kind of stuff. And you seem like a guy who knows what he believes. Is that true? It's a work in progress. It's a work. Hey, that's the right answer. Good answer. But so I want to ask you about what you believe first about manhood. What do you Mm -hmm. believe about manhood? 
I want to ask you what you believe about faith, but then I also want to ask you what you believe about our country because I love this country a lot. Yeah, me too. And blue, red, blue. that's right. This is a good country. It's had a lot of faults, a lot of darkness, like every other country in all of human history. Sure. Um, it's still the most prosperous though. Most prosperous. It's a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. I don't like that it's under attack. And as somebody who is giving your life to defend it in yeah. some capability, I'd love to know what you know about the, what you believe about the country. So before that, what do you believe about manhood? And then what do you believe about faith? So it's interesting. Like society will say that you are an adult at a certain age, right? Like you're a certain age. So you now have this greater sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that comes a weight of, and almost an expectation of what you're supposed to believe, what you're supposed to do in in society, how you're supposed to contribute. Um, but I don't think manhood can just be attributed to now you're 18, you're an adult sort of thing. Um, I think it's a process mm-hmm. and it's largely in part based on who you surround yourself with. Mm. Um, you're not going to become the greatest version of yourself by yourself. We hear that all the time, you know? Um, and without going on a tangent, like, echo chambers are dangerous and part of manhood is surrounding yourself with not only like-minded people but people who can put your ideologies put your stance on certain topics those types of things your beliefs into into uh into question basically absolutely um and that's why it's so important to surround yourself with a strong community exemplary people Mm -hmm. um unchallenged beliefs are very weak beliefs mm. very very weak but yet they're, those are what some people have as all-consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when somebody challenge, you can tell somebody isn't really sure about what they believe. If they face a challenge, there's like a deep offense that yes. they feel yes. that they need to defend. Not Well, not defend. That's not the right word. There's a deep offense mm-hmm. that they feel, almost like they're being attacked. Yeah. That's someone that's more emotionally driven rather than maybe logic based or maybe it could be. I think that has an element to it. I think it really comes down to they haven't done the hard work of confronting the arguments against what they believe. So, for example, Mm -hmm. see this with Christians a lot. They're flabbergasted when they meet somebody who would say has a strong argument that God's not real. They're like afraid to confront those arguments. And there's actually a lot of really strong arguments against God's existence. Most of them have to do with the problem of evil, but Christians won't go there. Mm-hmm. Many Christians won't. Some will. I'll go there. Many Christians won't. A lot of people think they have a grasp on what they believe, but they don't know why they believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think part of this manhood process mm-hmm. also comes down to a notion of uh, self-reliance and growing in responsibility. Um you're speaking my language (laughs) yeah um and with that comes like intentionality with relationships um like the dynamic of that changes over time as you as you progress into your career as you progress Mm -hmm. into uh establishing a family for yourself uh things of that nature you've got to surround yourself with people who are well-rounded in areas that you want to eventually be in well-rounded yes (laughs) Yes. That's the dynamic of mentorship and mentorship, right? Well-rounded. So not just specialized in one area, useless in other areas. Yeah. But like well-rounded, able to handle yourself in multiple arenas. Mm -hmm. A jack of all trades. (laughs) Amen. Um, But manhood, yeah, it's a a process, man. What do you believe about faith? About faith. Can you you unpack that? What are your... your faith beliefs what do you believe about jesus what do you believe about this is one i want i'm curious to ask what do you believe about humanity hmm i want i kind of want to attack that first question first uh okay i think jesus is the focal point of civilization like Mm. and humanity altogether like he should be our that is our model citizen right there sure is he's like the captain of america is that the best? <laughs> is that the best comparison we've got? Jesus is like Captain America. I mean, I'm for it. <laughs> is that the best that we've got? That's just that's just off the wire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I put more thought into it, I'm sure I can. I'm thinking right now, and else. I can't think of a better comparison. And that he's Theodore Roosevelt, actually. 
Interesting. Because Theodore Roosevelt is better than Captain America. So, but he is just, he's exemplary in everything. Like if Mm -hmm. I think if we keep Jesus at the, at the basis of who we aspire to be like in every industry that we're in, like we're going to have a lot more understanding individuals around us. I think empathy is a huge focal point of Mm -hmm. who he was. He's not Mm -hmm. only a phenomenal teacher, but a just as much a phenomenal listener. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's one of the things our country needs most is mm-hmm. like you can't have cohesiveness if you don't have people who are empathetic with each other mm-hmm. an understanding of where someone's coming from and their beliefs an understanding of their own backstory and then a sense of accountability, how they can change their beliefs or their circumstances. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus inculcated that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. He also wasn't afraid to tell people the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's that notion of, uh, and a lot of times in modern world to be empathetic means to lie to people mm-hmm. like, and leave mm-hmm. them in their current circumstances mm-hmm. without having a heart. Jesus always, start, he may have started with empathy, but he moved to compassion and compassion moves people from where they are, and lifts them up. It's so good. And I don't know if most people want to do that portion, but also maybe we are also so divided on what's real that it's going to be very hard for us to even talk Hmm. at all. That's, that's what I'm starting to think. Like we have no common ground anymore, which makes me sad, Hmm. but now I'm just trying to work through some stuff that I've been reading, but, (laughs) (laughs) but you are right. Jesus is the model citizen. Mm -hmm. And if we keep him as the one we aspire to, we are going to be much, much, much better off especially if you're a follower of Jesus and a citizen of the United States, one thing you got to remember is your, your war is not flesh and blood, mm-hmm. but what's behind the rulers, principalities, forces of darkness in this present age, mm-hmm. ideas that are contrary to what's true. Those are your enemies. Yeah. Not other people. I think seeing people scream at each other on TV. It makes me like, <laughs> oof. I think a big part of that is selfishness. Versus selflessness, Mm. right? Like Mm -hmm. Jesus was selfless in Mm -hmm. and of his entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, He recognized that what God put him on earth to do was Mm -hmm. he was not going to be able to do it within his own strength. He would have to do it with God Mm -hmm. and he would have to do it for God. Yeah. Um, Amen. People's selfish ambitions are, I don't think society progresses enough when it comes to people's selfishness. Yeah. Sorry, let me let me unpack that. If mm-hmm. if you're focused more so on the outcome of the work that you're doing rather than, I don't know, some sort of uh, materialistic external gain from it, mm-hmm. then it's going to be a lot more impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's got to be an intrinsic reason for what you do. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a kingdom mindset. Somebody write that down. Intrinsic. Said. <laughs> you said there's got to be an intrinsic reason for what you do. Yeah. No, write that down. A hundred percent. Um because then your circumstances, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're not where you think you're supposed to be going in terms of what you own, what you possess, um, the quota, the social mm-hmm. quota that you're living up to. Because mm-hmm. you're you're doing what you know is gonna mm-hmm. uh, make a difference for mm-hmm. people overall, for society. Yeah, so good. And what do you believe about our country? I believe uh, we live in the best country in the world. Amen. Dang straight, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Dang straight. You got anything else to say about it? Um, th- again, the biggest thing in our country, I think, is polarization. And it's tough. Like, when you start recognizing what you believe, I think that polarization becomes more apparent. Like, people are not open with having conversations with one another if they think it's not going to fuel their own beliefs. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's super dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like I mentioned before, you're not going to have people who put your own uh, beliefs into question, mm-hmm. but you're only going to believe your one way of thinking and, and try to project that onto other people. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. That's dangerous and entrapping. Yeah. I had done a Google search kind of study on the word threat. Mm. So I typed into Google, the greatest threat to America is blank party. And it came up with pages and pages of articles mm-hmm. on the greatest threat to America is the democratic party, the sure. Republican party, like 
articles and articles and articles. Yeah. You can't live in a place where your neighbor is an existential threat. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like there's, there's a difference between man. We really, really disagree. I think you're wrong. I think some of your ideas might be evil. I don't think they're coming from a good place. There's a difference there and existential threat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where we're now at a place through, I mean, and age of, have you read the book age of entitlement? I've talked about this book so much on the podcast. It's been very enlightening for me, but <clears throat> we're now at a place where half the country feels like their entire life is threatened yeah. by the other half of the country. Like physically threatened. Like physically they need to threatened. put a stop to other people's ideology. Yeah, that's why we're boiling. Them. That's why we're boiling over. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that we all think of ourselves as psychological people, hmm. which is a... So if you say something against what I believe, you're not attacking the idea that I have. Mm-hmm. You're attacking my core identity. Absolutely. So that's why people say words are violence. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, this is the first time in history that I mean, words have been hurtful. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Yeah, but violence. It's a dangerous Violence expression. is is intentional harm. Yeah. That like, changes your entire outlook. Like, yeah, you yeah. I think that people are malicious against you just for someone else expressing out their beliefs. Because, yeah, because, yeah. Because you're insecure about your own. You're not mm-hmm. open-minded enough to yeah. be able to listen to them. Yeah. That's what radicalization is. Mm-hmm. That's like... I mean, I'm I'm so fascinated by, by counterterrorism. I don't know why, but like there's that in-group out-group differential, and I'm not saying people are polarized to the point where that's happening here, but we have seen political violence happen over here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that comes down to the solutions of it, wow. but it starts with being open to uh, to have open discord, yeah. discourse with uh, opposing ideologies. Mm-hmm. One thing I love about you, though. And this is just go shout out to everybody who wants to defend people like me are not necessarily laying down our life for the country. Mm-hmm. And the number way, number one way that you show that you love people is you lay down your life for them. Hmm. So you aren't, no matter which path you end up taking, I know mm-hmm. you're in the decision, no matter what path you end up taking, you're laying down your life for people you disagree with. Yeah. And for people who don't, would probably hate your guts. hundred percent. I interviewed with, uh, Secret Service, and that was one of the heaviest questions I had for them. Mm-hmm. Was what do you do about your ideology? Mm-hmm. Are you guys even allowed to vote? Mm-hmm. How do you guys vote? What do you? Did do you they do? answer that? Can you talk about that? A little bit. Um, I'll cut it. I'll cut. I'll edit that out if I have to. It's it comes down to selflessness. You know, you're doing you are taking a bullet for whoever is out there. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's kingdom work. Like mm-hmm. God has a appointed that person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's true. Yeah. Like all authority is under God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that person's where they are for a reason. Mm-hmm. And who are you to try to be the mitigating factor in that? Mm-hmm. You, you're taking an unbiased, selfless approach to mm-hmm. protecting our country. Well, Whether it means um, you enjoy where, where our country is progressing or not. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. it's Yeah. Jesus probably didn't like the way we were going when he, when he gave himself for us that's so interesting i asked my (laughs) brother this yesterday Uh yo this uh, side note Mm. easter has become so much more significant over in over the years as my faith has grown i love that like yo there was there was a year i think it was like back in 2014 i didn't care that it was easter it was 420 at the same time (laughs) that's awful man that's horrible you it was what year 2014 yeah i was like 14 years old yeah give yourself a little give yourself a little grace sure but but if you were 16 like, no chance facts, facts. <laughs> and so yesterday we're watching like we're watching this uh this documentary on like uh, around the, the historical landmarks and what they meant over mm-hmm. in, uh, in in israel and mm-hmm. in jerusalem and all of these different focal points of jesus's ministry and mm-hmm. that was one of the biggest questions i had was why did jesus why did god send jesus to this earth at the time period he did mm-hmm. and if he's if we're able to pinpoint why that happened, can't we predict when he's going to come back? Mm. Can't I think I can tell you why he did it at a certain time. I don't think I can tell you when he's coming back. Well, let's unpack that. I've got a theory that Jesus came at the right time and there had to be some certain factors in play that involve technology mm-hmm. and language mm-hmm. so that the gospel could be spread. Mm. So 
Alec, first thing that happens is Israel is exiled to Assyria, Babylonia, mm-hmm. all the countries that came in just ravished them mm-hmm. over a couple hundred years. What that forced Israel to do was spread out from Israel mm-hmm. to be in other nations that were later conquered by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great comes through and he just wrecks everybody. But he, and he doesn't just wreck them in war. He remakes their entire culture hmm. and gives the entire world in that area one language. Everyone starts to speak Greek. One language. So now you don't have people speaking Aramaic, Hebrew, what are Babylonian tongues? Like mm-hmm. you don't have just those languages. Everybody now speaks Greek, wow. which means the whole world can, for the first time, communicate with each other. And then it also gives them a shared culture. So even if you're Jewish, it gives you a shared unity with people that are not like you. Mm-hmm. I think that was intentional. Then here comes Rome. Rome takes out Greece. And takes over the empire, builds the Roman Empire, and they connect to the world using roads. They build Roman roads. Hmm. They're the first to really connect all of these different aspects of the Roman Empire using shipping lines, roads, all that kind of stuff. So now the world has one language. They have roads, and they have shipping lines where you can now connect. The whole world just got really small. compared. It's what the internet was, but... 2000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Then here comes Jesus starts preaching his message to a bunch of people who all speak Greek. Paul gets anointed. He and um, chosen by Jesus to spread the message past Jerusalem because mm-hmm. the rest of the apostles were still sti- they were still in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And he calls Paul and Paul starts taking all those shipping routes and all those roads walking around the Roman empire, along with other Christians who were spread out during the persecution that Paul had initially started. And then he becomes a Christian. But the first place he goes, every time he preaches in a Greek speaking city is he goes to synagogues that would not have been there had they not been exiled all those years before. Wow. Wow. He always starts there, preaches the gospel to the Jewish people then goes into the town and preaches to whoever and the combination of those spread out synagogues, the Roman roads and the language allowed the gospel to spread very, very, very quickly <laughs> and create what we know as the church. Mm-hmm. And from there they went forward and God always seems to do a giant leap when language and technology meet. So the mm-hmm. best, ex- the next best example I can think of is the printing press. Mm-hmm. Pre- the printing press preceded the Reformation by about 80 years. The Catholic Church had kind of got, they basically became state power, had combined. There was a lot of stuff going on there that the Reformation happens because of the printing press. Nobody know no, it wouldn't have happened without the printing press. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's and now we have phones. Yeah. So the next great thing is probably through this. That's incredibly difficult to predict then. It's impossible to predict. Yeah. I mean, the Bible mm-hmm. talks about not knowing place or time, but the season. Yeah, and it'll get way worse than it is now, I think. Hmm. But who knows? We'll see. I lost all my questions. All right. We're at about 48 minutes. Got okay. one last question for you. Yeah. I asked this of everybody. What kind of man do you want to be? I put a lot of thought into this, but I looked at probably my greatest characteristic the thing that defines me most and mm-hmm. the thing that I just want to continue to, to exemplify in everything I do. And that's a man of integrity. Um, I think integrity is integrity is a lot of things um, mm-hmm. or it's exemplified through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> One of the things is, I mean, it means that you're a man of your word. It means that you're entrusted to make decisions when there's weight on those decisions. Um, doing what I say I'm going to do. There's a, there's a trust that's associated with it. Um, not only a trust to uh, keep keep case-sensitive information, but mm-hmm. a trust to make those decisions, like I mentioned. Um, and with those decisions comes sort of a, a self-accountability, right? So if you're a man of integrity... Self-accountability. Yeah, if you're, if you're a man of integrity, you've got to have... You've got to be accountable for your actions and, and carry the weight and the responsibility of that. Um, 
a man of integrity because of that means that he's going to look to other people, his, his, his mentors, his people around him to also hold him accountable for those actions or the beliefs that like we talked about. Um, I think a man of integrity is also someone that's relied on in time of need because of that decision making, but also they're relied on in terms of they're, they're able to expel empathy with people. Um, and so people trust them with care and to, to care and concern for, for whatever they're going through. Um, and uh, sorry, sorry, just oh, going good. off on a tangent here. Yeah, you're good. Trying to have my words catch up with my mind. But um, <laughs> don't you hate when your mind goes faster than your mouth? That's often how it goes. Mm-hmm. It happens to me all the time. That's why. And I, I usually, I Michael Scott it. I just start talking and hope I find my way eventually. <laughs> Let me circle back to that. Circle back. To that. <laughs> so integrity also means like if you if you care about your integrity, you care about how others perceive you. Mm-hmm. So not in terms of you care about your following and the influence that you have, but you, you recognize that influence. That's not what drives you, but you recognize that other people are going to scrutinize your actions. Other people are Mm going to look up to your actions Mm -hmm. in a lot of regards. And so you got to recognize the, the weight of, of how you carry carry yourself. yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You owe me a Coke. And lastly, I guess like, a man of integrity is honest and candid in everything he does. He owns his actions. He doesn't try to dust them under the car, uh, brush them or dust them under, under the carpet, you know, mm-hmm. um, recognizes that everything we did, everything I did was a calculated decision at the time. And I own that decision. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that decision is going to help me to get where, where God wants me to be, where he's called me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wasn't for candid candidness and integrity i wouldn't be where i am today um i can say that in terms of career i can say that in terms of relationships i up i uphold um ultimately integrity is just a focal point of who i am and i think that's that's going to be what i try to emphasize and focus on the rest of my life i love that that's a great answer man of integrity i love it i think you are a man of integrity i have not seen anything that would say Kyle's not living above reproach or I'm getting a different version of Kyle than what he's like at home. I've never felt that one Mm. time and I can read people's mail pretty well because I wasn't a man of integrity for a long time. And when, when you've walked that way, you know how to spot them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. There was a lot of wisdom in that 54 minute talk that you just gave. And I hope people go back, re-listen, write some notes. Thank you for serving our country. Thank you for being a man of God and for being all that you are. Well, thank you. Thank guys, you thank you for tuning into this episode of the Man I Want to Be podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review. If you didn't like what you heard, just pretend you didn't hear about us or listen, and that helps <laughs> us out just as much. And until next time, this is the Man I Want to Be podcast.